Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and t-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. On September 3rd, 2005, Guardian film critic Benjamin Lee gave the film Legend a two-star review. The film, starring Tom Hardy as both Ronnie and Reggie Cray, was described as cartoonish, pedestrian, overflowing with bad dialogue, and disappointingly shallow. So, you might wonder how his review came to appear on the film's tube poster campaign a few weeks later. The answer is, because of either one of the brashest or most misguided reactions to a bad review of recent years, the film's marketing department placed the two-star review between Tom Hardy's two heads, so that amongst a sea of genuine four-star reviews, it looked like a fellow four-star review that was just obscured by the craze. This then sparked a response piece by Benjamin Lee, which is on the Guardian site, and I encourage you to check it out. In addition to talking about the liberties taken with his own review, he highlights other shady practices taking place between critics and distributors. For example, he says, Just recently, I was part of a blanket email sent to a range of film journalists asking if someone could please attribute their name to the pre-written quote, a non-stop action classic, for the DVD release of a middling thriller. And elsewhere, he refers to David Manning, a fellow critic who called Sony's Hollow Man one hell of a scary ride, and The Animal, starring Rob Schneider, was another winner. Except David Manning isn't a critic at all. He's fictitious and was invented by Sony, the studio behind both films. Thanks for listening to this episode of Reads Like a Four, a podcast dealing with criticism, reviews, reactions and the future of critics, speaking to a different critic in each episode. I'm Adam Brooks and my guest this week exists a long way away from such murky practices, writing personal, long-form reviews of records that are underrepresented in the music press at large. Her name is... Sammy Main. She reviews... Uh, mostly music, but I've dabbled in TV and film, slightly... And yeah, mostly music. And has written for Goldflake Paint, mm-hmm. The Quietus, NME. I write news stories for them, yeah. so it's not necessarily reviews. Don't yeah. review. Okay. So um, The Guardian, mm-hmm. Bristol Live Mag, yeah. Bristol Twenty Four Seven, um, a Bust Magazine. Oh yeah. Uh, noisy. This episode was recorded in a cafe in Bristol, so you can expect a little background uh, noise.
closer to it. Okay. Um, so let me, I'm going to do a brief bit of scene setting mm -hmm. just to tell people that we're in the Folk House Cafe in Bristol, not only mentioned because they've done one of the most premium hot chocolates I've ever enjoyed, but also uh, when our initial venue to record this fell through, I emailed them to say, how quiet is your cafe? And they replied saying, if you like, we'll turn the music down for you, which I thought was very cute. So Have they turned down the music? No, but I don't think they need to. I think it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's giving it a jaunty 50s edge. Yeah. So, start. I don't know if this is a very easy, very difficult question when I wrote it. What is the point of a review? What do you think, what purpose does a review serve? If an album's coming out of, like, someone you're interested in, you're going to kind of click on it and see what it's like so when I'm writing reviews I think my purpose is to like obviously tell people what it's like but also to find a personal connection that someone else might find as well mm -hmm. and connect with them on that level because there is the argument of like um, objectivity subjectivity like not get too close to it you can't be a good critic unless you're kind of a bystander almost mm -hmm. but the way that I have always reviewed is heavily personal, which I don't know if it makes me a very bad critic. Well, I was going to say, I was saving this for later on, but I was going to say one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you for this podcast is because it feels like the reviews you write and, and others write, especially on Goldflake Paint, yeah. feel quite different to so-called traditional yeah. reviews in that a, they're quite long form. Yeah. B, they're frequently quite personal. And C, yeah. they're usually championing something that yeah. you or other writers are, are really into. And you, an artist, I would say, are usually in need of more people discovering them. Like, yeah. There's not a lot yeah. of kind of redundant reviews that you could find a similar thing elsewhere. Regurgitated press releases. Yeah, I yeah. Wanted, like I was going to say, like, is that the, is that the intentional ethos of the site? Is that yeah. but there's something you've always done as well, right? Yeah, totally. I think that's since I've been more involved in it as like managing editor for like over a year now, I think it's like heavily influenced my writing in terms of how I approach things, even for different publications. Mm -hmm. But that's always been the intention behind Golf of Paint is to champion stuff that isn't being championed elsewhere. Like we do include, you know, we review like Lord or whatever because we love it. Yeah. So like first and foremost, it is stuff we cover that we love, but also it is to like help underrepresented bands and artists to get a small platform um, but that's often the place where artists, bands, managers, labels will personally message me and thank me for a review that I've written not in the sense that like oh that's great you've given it a good review that's great good it's like oh you got it because you like took the time to like really invest yourself in it and you found a part of yourself in it and they like really appreciate stuff like that and it's quite interesting because if you if you if you'd written a review of that record for, you know, 80, 80 words somewhere, mm. you might have still felt all the same things, but you wouldn't have been able to tell by reading it, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I do, um, like, 100-word reviews for Bust magazine, mm -hmm. um, which is an American magazine uh, for women who want to get something off their chests. Mm -hmm. um, I see what they've done there. Yeah, it's, it's great. I love them. And uh, they review only uh, female-identifying artists. Um, which can be done every month mm -hmm. and still fill the pages, yeah. so that's great. They haven't had to go large print or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that's, yeah, sucking it down to like 100 words is um, quite tricky because I do find I'm just kind of describing it rather than yeah. putting my own personal touch on it. I wonder if the reason that long-form reviews and things like that mm. seem to be more prevalent is that the other kind 
are less, perhaps less in demand or less necessary. Like maybe yeah. it feels like a bit of a, a tired theme, but a lot of people argue what the point of reviews is now. You've got social media and you can read like capsule reviews that your friends have written. And I wonder if maybe that's why more people end up writing long form because that's something that you yeah. can't get from your mate on Twitter. Or, yeah, you know, that I think that's thing. definitely our intention as well. It's to give something with a bit more substance and a bit more, for lack of a better word, meat around the release and it's like looking at the project as a whole like the history of it the progress of progression of it like where's it heading what's it mean in the current climate like it's more a feature i guess rather than simply a review like a strict yeah. review of it, it and like you said you can't get like a meaty thing like that from someone on Twitter or yeah. I mean people are always going to ask their mates what they think of this band's album whatever that's just like normal but yeah we want to with Goldfoot Paint definitely want to offer something different and to like help people get a personal connection with it and to understand it from a more personal point of view yeah I was on it last night and I kind of it felt less like you know I guess most people would describe it as a music site or a music blog but it felt more like a resource to me in, oh, the, nice. in the it's kind of there's guides to things there's reviews yeah. in the traditional sense yeah. there's obviously like the Sunday mixes that go up and stuff like yeah. it's like a it's like a miniature library for fans of that kind of thing yeah we definitely have a niche I think like mm-hmm. we definitely have a niche audience which is good in this current climate of horrible <laughs> sure demising well, publications but th- that was going to be the next uh, thing like I said was like where have all the irreverent brutal music blogs gone like I can't work out because I, I used to I used to be able to name a lot of them but I don't know if it's because I'm old as shit and I don't work <laughs> at record labels anymore or if they have just all disappeared because of Facebook advertising taking the ad money out of sight it's like that's a, yeah is it, a, is it a much less crowded field now do you think I don't think it's less crowded I think everyone's kind of got their niche but um, the Facebook stuff is definitely like a bit scary right now. Yeah. We're a bit worried about that. Yeah, and um, it's tough because I sort of think like I can't. You can't blame people for wanting to target more effectively, but at the yeah. same time, it's like not, you know, it's difficult because then you get some sites, understandably, are sort of asking people to advertise out of loyalty, even yeah. though they they know that you know it's, it's yeah. you can't pinpoint those ads as, as well. Yeah, like we don't have any advertising on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not, you know, making a ton of money off of it or anything. We've got the Patreon going, yeah. which is, like, making personalised playlists or sending people albums and stuff, and we kind of want to monetise it in that way yeah. rather than videos popping up every time you click on it and not being able to cross it off and then, like, go clicking on something else by accident. Like, I can name at least like five websites that do that that I go on to read reviews or whatever and it just literally makes me want to flip my desk it's one of the scourges of the internet age fake fake crosses in the the age of adverts as well yeah and it's not their fault and I totally get why it has to be done I completely get it it's like keeping people in work it's why the enemy went free it's why like you know it has to be done sometimes to keep people in critic jobs and I empathise with that, but then also we just don't want to do it that way. We're like trying to do it differently. But going back to sort of when you started writing, was there yeah. was there? A, can you remember a review or a writer that stood out to you early on, or made you thought that it was something you wanted to do or something that was possible? Um, I met Edith Bowman okay. at Leeds Festival um, when I was sixteen. Um, yeah, it was because I was allowed to go because I got the, enough good grades in my GCSEs. Okay. My parents held the ticket hostage 
and said I could only go if I got a certain, you know, good number right. of grades. And I did it, and it was great. And it was the first festival I went to with no parents, nothing. It was crazy. It was the year the riots happened. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, um, it was just before Iron Maiden were coming on, and um, she was walking around with Zane Lowe. And I used to think... I mean, I still think he's pretty cool, but I used to idolise Zane Lowe quite a bit because mm-hmm. he did all his, like, late-night radio things and, like, championing new music and stuff. And I remember, yeah. like, listening on my phone to, like with my headphones and my phone in bed like when I was like 15 I used to like listen to his radio show like when my parents thought I was asleep and stuff and like I just really found it really interesting and I um, tried to kind of um, chat to him and he was busy and you know it was fine and Edith Bowman was much more approachable and she said I said to her like oh yeah I want to I think I want to be a music journalist like what do you think and she was just like so encouraging and just like yeah you got to do it like you know it doesn't matter she was just great and it just like really inspired me um, I worked for free for a number of years um, especially straight after uni because I was laid off from my job at HMV mm-hmm. and I was desperately seeking a career in music journalism and um, you know I did write for free a lot in terms of for free I mean you get a free gig ticket oh to yeah, write okay. this yeah. review or you get, you know, the album. You get to hear the album before anyone else, you know. Um, and I was like an 18, 19 year old kid, 20 year old kid, and I just so desperately wanted it. Yeah. There's I, a period where that seems like a, a fair deal as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely, because you're just like so full of enthusiasm, and it just seems like such a cool job, and you're like, I can technically say I'm a music journalist. Yeah. I mean, it's you're payment a music in kind. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I was on benefits for the better part of a year. I couldn't get a job. Um, I was overqualified for anything, everything and underqualified for everything else. Mm-hmm. And it was like a really bleak time. But um, going to those gigs and reviewing those albums did give me like a sense of purpose. Yeah. Which was good. <laughs> um, it gave me kind of a routine and that was great. Um, but now, you know, people ask me, should I work for free? And there's, there's, there's often debates about it on journalist Facebook groups and stuff and I'm constantly like, no, don't do it, like, you're worth so much more than that, but I can kind of empathise with how they're feeling, because they're often young people, yeah, like, starting out and it's, like, and such a tricky industry It's a tough thing to tell people to turn down when it's something that you did yeah. and now you are yeah. paid, you know, so it's like, on the one hand, that's your, that's good advice but on yeah. the other hand, it's like, had you not done it maybe you wouldn't be yeah. writing... Yeah. you know be paid for writing now it's I did I did a lot of work experiences that were not paid as well um, that's why they're called work experiences yeah. I did it at Plan B magazine which I really loved I remember Plan B fondly yeah and it's um, it was at the time it was edited by uh, it was Patterson oh was yeah who, he I now went works to uni with Red him yeah. Now, yeah really great guy weird that we know <laughs> yeah um, but yeah, I remember I transcribed a Grace Jones interview on my first day in there, and I was like, this is really cool, I get to listen to Grace Jones being Grace Jones. Mm-hmm. And I remember stomping to, to Rich Smith, you know, when the issue was out, she was on the cover, and I, I got a tiny little contributor yeah. thing, and I was like, oh, I transcribed that interview. And now I, I know why they got me to do it, because transcribing is literally the worst part of my job. <laughs> but, um, so that was, that was lovely, and then I did work experience at The Fly, 
um, before it was before it went away. Yeah, I also love the fly. I've got like a long. Yeah. I mean, the list of the list of music magazines I loved is so much longer than the list of music magazines I love yeah. current. Like I used to love. I loved the. I was a real sucker for the Britpop heyday of Select when it was like John Harris into Alexis Petridis yeah. and. Um, uh, I love Plan B for for a while. It's I really love. Do you remember Raw? Movie. That might be might be before your time. That I was one of those that lasted about nine months, okay. and it was a beautiful nine months yeah. of reading about things I gave a shit about, uh, and then it, and then it went. But yeah, yeah. Um, when I did experience at the Fly, it was um, Niall who was editing. Who he's now um, an editor at Q Magazine. Yep. And um, Harriet, who is now an editor at the Guardian. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were so great and um, I really that was like a that was one of the placements that I was like I want to do this because these guys are so funny and welcoming and great and um, wonderful Um, and I was under the impression that I was getting paid because in the like little contract thing it said you know you'll get reimbursed for um, travel or whatever and um, it came to the end of the week and I said oh so you know who do I give my receipts to or whatever and they were like is that still on the small print <laughs> and they were just like mortified and so they felt terrible because they actually they couldn't do it you know their publisher was like right you know it's not that case anymore so they they took me to the pub instead and got me really drunk to say oh, sorry that seems <laughs> on my last day some sort of twisted fair justice yeah oh. and then I did work experience at NME that was really intense. That was like a world away from the fly and plan B. The fly and plan B felt very like almost gorilla esque. Yeah. Compared to this huge glass walled building that enemy was in, that I think it's you know still in there. I think. Um, and uh, yeah, that was uh, really intense. Um, but I remember they did get us to do you know a couple of hundred word reviews or whatever, and then actually gave us feedback on them. Okay. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, come on, kid, like just write some news stories and then we'll take you to the pub after. It was like, oh, we'll actually like try and help you. There's some, some level of training um, involved. about um, people, especially with Gulf Lake Paint, people you've reviewed kind of getting back to you about yeah. it. Things. To what extent do you bear it in mind when you're writing a review, especially uh, now social media's around, that it's yeah. more likely than not that the person that made the work is going to read it? Does it matter? Do you um, think it makes any difference to what you It what shouldn't you make a difference. That shouldn't really... I mean, of course you're going to be a bit like apprehensive about that, mm. especially if you're, you maybe really liked their work in the past and you don't like it now but yeah. um, I guess for the most part slatings are rare rare they rare. are and I think I've had uh, conversations with many people about this um, there are certain websites that do give out 2 out of 10s and 3 out of 10s and I don't know what purpose they serve really I mean um, I feel like if they serve a purpose it's they get read like, they d- yeah, they're always it's, massively it's over, how, disproportionately yeah. read compared to positive reviews, it's which is true. a shame. It is a shame. Um, but then I, I wonder how much authenticity is in some of them. Um, some of them on this particular site get really blasted, like really, and they get really personal about the artists themselves rather than the work that's mm-hmm. being reviewed. And it's quite nasty sometimes, and it's kind of like, well, what's, what's the point of this? In my case, I tend not to review 
things that I know I'm not going to like. Yeah. Because what's the point in that? Give it to something like I'm not going to review. You know, I'm not a massive fan of like shoegaze. I'm not a massive fan of shoegaze. So don't give me a shoegaze album to review because I'm not. I'm not going to like it probably. Yeah. Um, give it to a shoegaze fan who can look at it with the wealth of knowledge they have of their favourite genre. So I don't know how much. Back to the question though. <laughs> um, I don't know when I'm tangent then. Um, it is tricky because Goldflake Paint is very community based in terms of like all the labels we know and it's all like all the people getting in touch to be reviewed are usually without a manager without a PR and, and I guess like, a lot of the people you review there may be people that won't get a lot of reviews elsewhere so yeah. they will read everyone yeah. because they're not going to get a yeah. hundred you know but we tend to just review the stuff that we know we're going to like and that we love and you know I, I, I can't I can't put up a, a scolding review I just I'd feel Awful. I don't know. Yeah, it's a bit like, do you actually want them to stop? Like, do you want yeah. to see them on a, you know, working, yeah. you know, in a shoe shop a year later? Yeah. I mean, I remember I reviewed um, the recent Jimmy Eat World album for Dork magazine, and I love Jimmy Eat World, mm-hmm. and I was like, it's not a good record, and I had to like bite the bullet and say it's not a great record, but. That's very different to the people who'd feature on Goldfoot Paint because Jimmy World are probably never going to read that. Yeah. And what do they care what I say? Yeah, and also so. I'm sure I, I can imagine that you uh, that you caged it within a sort of general yeah. career long love of Jimmy World rather than it just being like yeah. a shit man shit album. Yeah. And I wonder if people that write negative reviews as well. I always think that if you're going to find sort of overwritten showboating it's more likely to be on a negative review than a positive one yeah just because it becomes a bit of a it's easy to say that it's shit but look look how many different ways I can make it look shit one person who did it brilliantly is Laura Snapes when she reviewed Ed Sheeran's album Mm. I don't know if you read that I did read that Um, she did it really well like it wasn't nasty it was really funny it was really relatable to like the Hate, general hatred of Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, you know, it was a funny, entertaining review to read. Um, he's a funny one in the review world. Because, like, no one seems to like him. Everyone has to review popular. him. But there's almost, there's, there's never been less a point in reviewing yeah. a record than in reviewing yeah. an Ed Sheeran record. Yeah, because yeah, you won't make a dent. Every, I wonder what the, I wonder what the <laughs> difference in net sales would be if every single review was, like, a one star. I, I Probably not much. No. It would be crazy. Do you remember last year when his album came out and he took up the entire top ten? Yeah. Because of streaming being well, included. He, he, took it, he took it up to the extent that they changed the rules so yeah. that it couldn't happen again. Yeah. Which, I, I mean, don't, this is a massive tangent, but I, I have a real problem with the chart rules changing so that after a certain period of time, a track, set, a track sales, track streams count for less. It's like, literally the only point of a chart is to show what is genuinely popular in proportion to one another, you yeah. know? It's like it's very true. Yeah, it's you know, it's like what one are you going to exclude everybody that's over forty-five? Like, are you are you going to decide that you don't want you know Americans in the chart this week? Like, yeah. you can't just change it to fit you know whatever yeah. you feel like. The, the only reason it exists is is like yeah. a, a measurable scale of who is yeah. selling. I do miss the days of pre-Spotify, pre-streaming, when you just tune into Top of the Pops and you would find out there and then, yeah. and there was no dressing it up. 
know fucking about. Even if there's top of the pops now, somebody would leak the memo. Like, yeah. you know, it would go up on like Instagram uh, or something. Yeah. <laughs> um, so talking about um, reactions, what, what's been the most positive and least positive reaction or interaction that's resulted from a review you've written? The most positive is definitely um, the... Uh, Albums by transgender artists I put together. Which just went up, right? That's quite recent. Well, it came last summer. Oh, okay. It was when um, Bandcamp were. Um, what have I put in here? Um, Bandcamp were donating 100% of their proceeds to the Transgender Law Centre. Oh, I remember Centre. that. And then a load of bands on Bandcamp did the same. Yeah, and it was on um, August 4th last year that happened. And, um, you know, we were originally just going to do our favourite albums on Bandcamp, you know, whatever. And then we were like, oh, hang on, you know, there's another whole plethora of artists that are underrepresented. Um, let's put transgender artists forward because it's, you know, their day. It's an important day um, to raise awareness about he who shall not be named and what he was doing. Um, and that was our biggest read of the year. Um People, you know, I did a call out on Twitter and searched on Bandcamp all night. It took me, I was, I was up till about three in the morning doing that, and it was like one of the most satisfying things I've done as well because I was just like, discover, I was like, oh, it's my job to just like scroll through Bandcamp and find really good music that I like. Mm. And it, you know, people just appreciated it so much, and we just thought. I guess there must be a lot of people as well who, who kind of have listened to Anoni and Against Me, and sort of don't, yeah. don't know where to dive in from there. Yeah, I mean, they're not. I wouldn't. It's like saying, you know, female fronted bands is a genre. They're definitely not a genre. Yeah. But it's, um, they could definitely use more platforms championing them. Mm. Um, but that was. Like, you know, we didn't do it for the hits or the likes or whatever. We were like, this is just something we feel like we should do and it's really important. And that still comes up as like, you know, people still sharing it and stuff like that. So that that was lovely. Mm. And I really liked it. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra. And I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I think there's occasions where I've, um, I've preferred to read a review than I have to listen to or watch the thing it's about. Really? Yeah, sometimes. Do you think that reviewers seeing themselves as artists and their writing as art makes it makes for better or worse writing it's like definitely a fine line mm-hmm. um i would hate to call myself an artist yeah um but i definitely pour a lot of creative energy into my writing and i'm my own worst enemy my own worst critic like uh, critic um <laughs> but i definitely yeah it's um it's definitely a fine line because you want it to read really well and you want it to represent your own unique voice um, every writer has their own unique voice but then you have to you know you're, you're reviewing art so you can't necessarily be the main artist um, <laughs> well, I, I feel like it, sometimes it, exi- it exists on a bit of a spectrum I like it when people when, when I can tell that somebody wrote something and yeah. especially when it's like long form like yeah. I say sometimes I will, I will read a review and I'd be like that is, that's a great review I'm not going to listen to the record but I really enjoyed reading this review really? but then on the, on the other hand there was the, yeah. one thing that used to really irritate me was um, probably in, in, in the Connor era of NME they expanded the masthead on the review section and they changed it to enemy meet the critics and half the page where they could have been reviewing records was made up with like photos and bylines of all the people that reviewed the records and it was like they were trying to relive the kind of Julie Birchill like Nick Long kind of 60s yeah. feel where like it was all kind of Lester Bangs and stuff and it just felt a bit forced and I didn't like I didn't buy enemy to find out what the reviewers are up to this yeah, week like exactly. I wish they'd given that space over to the job they paid to do like I don't know it, just, it really made me angry and I still to this yeah. day don't really know why but it, yeah. was, it felt like they were trying to put themselves above the rec- above the bands they were talking about, yeah. or at least alongside them in a weird way. Yeah, there's definite writers that do that, I think. Um, and I do wrestle with myself in terms of like how much of myself do I put into this, because it's not about me, it's about this person who's created something. I know it's work that I'm producing and reviewing it, um, but I do wrestle with myself about how much to... like actually say like review it in the first person or anything like that there was a record we did for the top 10 albums last year um, and one of them was um, this album by an artist called Lush Loss um, and their album um, Asking Bearing and it was about um, you know her relationship with her mother and like it it was really um, it was really tough to listen to because I have a very strange relationship with my mm-hmm. mother. I read that review. So um, I was like, right, I'm going to put this thing in the first paragraph that I don't, a lot, a lot of people know about me, um, but I feel like it's really important to show my affiliation with this record and why it affected me so much and why it might affect someone else so much. Um, and, you know, she emailed me after and she was like, you know, said that I really got it and like and we've continued correspondence after that and it's really nice but it's like you know I, I didn't get any any um, emails from anyone who read it who said like oh I listened to it because of this so I don't know if it's oh, actually okay. effective yeah but 
she enjoyed it. And it's one of the, I guess it's one of those things that's like, if you know, if, if your personal experience is going to colour your interpretation of the record, how yeah. can you not refer yeah. to it, right? Because why do you like certain albums? Yeah. Why do we all, you know, you think back to a time when you first heard it, or like, why do I still listen to Blink-182? Because it reminds me of being a teenager. Mm. And like, you get these personal connections with all these albums and stuff, and it's like... Yeah, you're going to have make a personal connection with an album, and that's why you like it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as a critic, you have to also objectively look at it in the current cultural climate and in the progression of like the artists and what they've been doing, and like this merging of the two that's the art that makes me the artist. Mm-hmm. I don't I called myself an artist. Yeah, you did, but that's okay. I think you've, yeah. you've taught yourself into it quite nicely. Yeah. Um, is there uh, an old review of yours that you've looked back on and thought, fuck, I was horrendously mistaken about this? Um, or are you always right? <laughs> um, there's definite albums that, like, I didn't, you know, didn't love, but I liked them, and then they, like, definitely grew on me later on, and I was like, oh, I should have given that more time. But um, there's also a quick turnaround with reviews sometimes as well, and it's like how much time do you give yourself to really like indulge in this record or this film or this TV show um, you might feel differently after one week of listening to it and then a year of listening to it like mm-hmm. yeah. it's like fast no one's going to give you albums. a year no. do you think criticism is the right term for what you do when you're reviewing a record uh, and if not what would be an improvement Oh my god. I, I only ask that because I think it's flawed as a term because obviously it has two meanings and the other meaning is wholly negative. And so I think it's kind of implied when you talk about professional criticism mm-hmm. that it's about talking things down. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, when you say something's being critically evaluated. Maybe I could be a professional interpreter. That sounds better, I, guess. <laughs> I think that's, yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah, context setter. Yeah, like, yeah, criticising de- definitely has negative connotations, doesn't it? So it's yeah. like almost like when you're approaching a new record, it's like, right, I have to find the negatives in this first. Yeah. Um, whereas I definitely look for the positives first, so... Um, you know, people can email in, I've got an email address. Yeah. If you've got a better idea than criticism, you can write to readslike a four at gmail.com and I'll, uh, I'll tell everyone I speak to from now on that that's what they do. Yeah. <laughs> what review that you've written would you say was the most butchered slash badly sub-edited and did you care um, does it happen often it doesn't happen too often thankfully I think that's why people keep st- still giving me work so that's good <laughs> you know they don't have to butcher things too much so um, there has been reviews that get like completely chopped in half or something and I'm a bit gutted about that mm-hmm. um, did you ever like did you ever like feed a four star into the machine and it came out too that sort of thing um, no not really because when you're like giving stars in the instances that I have had to give out of five out of ten, you have to write it in a way that conveys that number. Mm-hmm. So if you're like, this record is amazing, three out of ten, it's yeah. like it yeah. doesn't correlate. But with I've, what you're writing, I've seen so. some that that's happened to, I'm sure. And I mean, that's 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 where the name of this podcast came from as well, because yeah. when I was working at. Uh, like uh, Warp or Atlantic or somewhere and we would get reviews in that we were expecting to be good and they were like three star the sort of the, the caveat when you present that to the manager or whatever it's like oh yeah but it reads like a four you know it's yeah. it, look, it looks like a nine even that's, though it's a seven kind that's of thing. another interesting thing it's like three stars is not a bad review no but and also and bands get really touchy about it and 
PRs and stuff that it's because they'd rather be hated than be middling I think yeah but also there is there is the sort of there is the saying that three stars means never having to say you're sorry because that used to go around a bit when I was at label was it's like you know it's it's a safe score to give because you'll never be completely wrong you'll never be proven wrong by it being bad or or good yeah Um, but then I've I've seen um, artists get upset about giving like getting like seven out of ten when I don't think that's a bad score no that's like the lower end of great but it's still in the ear, in the great spectrum. Yeah. So you're like getting there. Yeah. Great ish. <laughs> but it's like they get you know some people get really upset about it and it's mm. like it's not a three out of ten. I suppose not... as well it's people when they get those reviews they're coming out it's their first time out the end of the funnel yeah. the funnel of people that have been telling them that it's a masterpiece because everyone up to yeah. that point has a vested interest in it going well. Yeah. And then and then they get hit with. Your review, you've crushed their dreams. Yes. Yeah. Oh man. It's <laughs> um, amongst active critics, is there anyone whose writing you particularly admire or recommend? Um, I am constantly inspired by other people's writing, um, especially um, a lot of women. I read a lot of women's writing. Um, I recently uh, finished a book called uh, Under My Thumb, Songs That Hate Women and the Women Who Love Them. I've heard about that. Um, and it's a collective collection of essays about you know, music that I love, that women love, but um, is like misogynistic or like really sexist or like really is it, is it kind um, of like, is it chapters on like Gimme Shelter and yeah. um, The Crystals and... Well, there's like, it's chronological, which is great. So, um, you know, it starts off, there's like Phil Spector and Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan and all that sort of stuff. And then it goes all the way up to like Taylor Swift and like mm-hmm. all that stuff. And it's such a great deep dive into like the world of criticism today. Um, just all these women like trying to find their personal grounding with like music that they really love but like goes against their personal politics and that again like st- goes back to what we were saying about how much of yourself do you put into it and like so you have to like be objective then and say like oh but I really love this song like so it's fine I'd go past from me. Um, so that book is really great. It's a really good article as well recently that was called like the Great Awakening. I, I don't know if you've seen yeah, it. I, did, yeah. I think it's by a writer called Molly Fisher, and it was in the New York Times. And I just thought that was such a like phenomenal piece, and it came exactly at the right time in the era of like all these artists going back to their roots. And then like I did, I did the fingers there. You can't see it, but <laughs> yeah. um, you have to insert your own inverted commas. Yeah. Um, going back to their roots and you know woke pop and all this stuff and it's like really inauthentic in, in some instances like I'm really not here for woke Timberlake at all I don't think he's getting it right and and then it's like well how do we how do we critique art in this era of like wokeness mm. I hate saying wokeness but um and I just thought that piece was fantastic and it really made me reassess every you know reassess stuff in my own career um yeah, we've got a great writer in Gold Paint called um, Maria Sledner, and she is also a poet, so it's like her writing is just beautiful. Mm. She wrote the Julie Byrne um, review on our like, albums of the year last year, and it like 
pretty much made me and Tom, you know, well up. We were just like, this is so beautifully put together. And like, that's a big thing, Goldfoot Paint. We, we surround ourselves with writers that we really admire as well and bring that, like, personal touch to the forefront. Yeah. Um, and for listeners, I'll round up links to as many of these as I yeah. can find and put them out yeah. on social um, media. And there's... Um, um, Faria, I can't, I don't know how to pronounce your name and I'm really sorry, but it's Faria Rosen, Rosen, Russian, I'm not sure, but she is fantastic and I've followed her for a few years. She does um, a lot of big, chunky features, um, but she's just one of my idols in, in terms of like, she's just killing it. Mm-hmm. Everything she writes is just amazing. Um, and I think Laura Snapes is a wonderful writer. I think she's great. Um, and that Ed Sheeran review, one of my favourites. Yeah. I remember um, Emma Garland, who is now an associate editor at Vice, she, um, a couple of years ago, wrote a piece about uh, Kurt Cobain and how taking his own life was like none of your business. Mm-hmm. And it was just this great piece about how all the bros out there just blame Courtney Love about everything. And it was just like so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's just and Kate Solomon, my pal Kate. Um, I love her writing. Um, she did a brilliant review of V Festival that went up on Drowning Sound a couple of years ago, um, and it was all about her having an existential crisis at this festival, and it was just brilliant. She has um, a really good uh, comedic tendency in her reviews, which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Is there a trope or a habit you would remove from everyone's reviews if you could? I, again, I was sort of inspired to ask this because I, the last thing I, uh, the last thing I reviewed, I do it very rarely and not particularly well, but just occasionally I'll review something. And I think the last thing we got commissioned was by you, and I got a style guide through, which had a, a really fun list of things not to say. Yeah. And some of them, I was amazed you even had to say it because they seem so obvious. But yeah. Um, yeah, like especially with live reviews when it's like the band take to the stage. And the audience are, you know, made up of teenagers, and it's like, well, who cares? Like, what band? <laughs> like, yeah. just yeah, the cliches, just like no cliches. That would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just put that. You should just like put that list up. Yeah, I'll see if I can dig it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That can just be a, a fun guide for everyone who ever wants to write anything. So yeah, it's just wasted words yeah. putting these things down. Yeah. Um, yeah, mine, and I don't know why, and I know that you'll disagree with me because I'm sure I think I've seen you do this, and it oh, doesn't no. annoy. It doesn't annoy me. Well, it annoys me, but I, I know I sort of know that I'm it's wrong. All coming out now. Fine, it's, just hit me with it. <laughs> I don't think it's it's not something people do in reviews, and it's something I think that comes from like I read uh, Sylvia Patterson's book as well, which I really enjoyed. Yeah, great um, book. But I find. I don't know why this makes me angry and I know that I'm wrong. I just want to caveat that. When when journalists abbreviate your to YR, it drives me insane. And I know that it comes from, like, it's a it's a journalistic tick of years gone by and I don't know why, but it make, it upsets me. Yeah, and I, don't I only do that, that on Twitter, in my defence. Okay. I only do that on Twitter. So you've got the, char- you've got the character limit as your, as, your, yeah. as your alibi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I, I, yeah, I get that. Um, but um, there is, there's, um, there, I think there's, there's a journalistic history to it that I am partly ignorant of, but until I learn why, I don't understand it. But no one does it in reviews, so that, well, not, yeah. not many people do it in reviews. So yeah. I can, you know. Maybe fine. you're just showing your age, buddy. I think that might be it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
I write things properly. <laughs> yeah, it's pro- it, well, it may well be that. Yeah. What do you What do you do besides reviewing that people might be interested in checking out? This is a very leading question. I'm basically mm. asking you to talk about you suck. Oh yeah, yeah. I run a pop music night. Um, break up bangers to get over your crappy ex. Um, that's really fun. So that kind of combines my love of pop music um, with my hatred of the public no <laughs> um, what I don't understand is that every time you do one there's always complaints from you guys you and the other people that run it about like basically just bros coming up to the DJ booth and asking for the wrong thing and I don't understand how they get to the point that they've like seen it advertised come through the door and then still are like this isn't what I want to hear like how did they get there to be so there? wrong? Where are, yeah, um, I don't think um, I don't think they have turned up for our night when that happens. They've just gone to they've venue. just gone to birthdays in Dalston where we hold it, and they've just gone for a night out. Um, but and we quite clearly, yeah. Well, we have to like we had to like happens. keep telling the bouncers to like tell people that it was a pop night. Um, and even you know when people are told that they still get annoyed when we're like dropping Dua Lipa for like the third time <laughs> like you have to yeah. but it's like that's crazy yeah that's that's really annoying like more often than not we do get guys coming up and leaning over the DJ booth and just being like what are you doing like oh you're not real DJs or like you need to play more <laughs> of this amazing. or more of that you're not real DJs I'm yeah. running a club night and you're fucking at it yeah. like how much more of yeah. a DJ do I need to be yeah and this one guy was like hell-bent on asking us to play Jamiroquai and we were like of all the things <laughs> yeah but I am branching out into more um, into more still like arts and culture and stuff but like writing about um, gaming soundtracks and writing about TV shows and stuff like that I'm trying to branch out a little bit because mm-hmm. it can get quite suffocating just writing about music yep. a little bit and you've got a website people can go to to mm-hmm. send you money and well, requests for you suck and yeah. work and yeah. pictures of their puppies yeah uh-huh. I mean I think probably Twitter's the best place um, cool. Is it just Sammy Main? It is just Sammy Main, but my website is just sammymain.com as well. Main with an E. With an others. E, yeah. Um, and Sammy with a Y. Oh yeah, that's also important. <laughs> um, oh my God. What I've got is I've taken I've taken some sentences from your reviews. No. And I've taken some sentences no. from other people's reviews, and I want to see. This is going to be horrible. You, it's like hearing your own voice. Do you recognise your own distinctive voice, or will you mistake <laughs> it for someone else? Okay. So the first one is uh, the small shifts in technique on each track mark a songwriter who understands the strength and subtlety. Is that you, or is that someone else? It's me. It is you. Yeah. The uh, second one, <laughs> the album's second half glides hazily by, never actually disappointing, but maintaining a mid-tempo pensiveness that's a little too comforting for comfort. That's not me. That's not you. That's Kitty Empire. Yep. Um, occasionally, his delivery is so dry he comes off as impassive, but he's also capable of eloquence and even virtuosity. Not me. That's not you. Yep. That's Sheldon Pierce on Pitchfork. Uh, yeah, after, it. after a weekend of dancing, hangovers and burning your paycheck, Monday can feel like bouncing back to reality with a leaden thud. Not me. That one is you. Oh. That's from the Guardian Clubs review. Oh sort of man, that was, in, a, that was that was years ago. Oh no, Come well, on, still online. <laughs> uh, and finally, his work regularly features weird and wonderful creatures, and we can't get enough of them. Not me. No. 
that's also you. Oh, that's crazy. That was from, oh, I, that was something from, oh, what was it? I think it's from a, um, it was a review of like, it was either album covers or it was video game art or something, it was right. one of those. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, that's three out of five. That's not bad. I'm yeah. thinking about having a leaderboard like they have for the fastest lap on <laughs> yeah. Top Gear. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I say that's passable. I, I mean, you said yourself, three stars is nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, exactly. I got my three stars that I came here for. Exactly. All right, well, um, <laughs> thanks very much for talking to us, Sammy Main. My thanks to Sammy for speaking to me, the Folk House Cafe in Bristol for being accommodating, and to Emmeline Lawford, who provided the artwork for this podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter, at readslikeafour, or me, at adamnonfiction. If you want to drop me an email, it's readslikea4 at gmail.com. Uh, we'll be back next week with a chat with a brand new critic. Until next time, thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.